I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go. Sunday is my fun day, so no time to waste. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Scoop Podcast episode 409, a number that is random to you, a number that is important or at least meaningful to me. It was 25 years ago this fall, the fall of 1997. I lived in Territorial Hall, University of Minnesota freshman dorm. My room number was just like the cleaner, 409. So I always love that number 409. All right, like always, some notes, then a bunch of conversations. I should have done a better job of managing my podcast time, you know, spreading out some of these conversations. But hey, two busy kids that play travel basketball, high maintenance wife, you know the story. So it'll be a lot of conversations, a lengthy podcast here on Scoop Podcast episode 409. In no particular order, let's begin with the Twins. I was curious on this, so I checked. No extension talks yet on Tyler Malley, Sonny Gray, and Kenta Maeda. All three starting pitchers, free agents after the year. I can see at some point talks picking up, maybe not in all three, but on at least one. Like some of the representatives of those pitchers will be in Fort Myers before spring training is over. So maybe some initial talks take place. But right now, as we sit here, weekend of February 18th. There is nothing going on on extension talks. The Twins have kicked the tires on free agent reliever Brad Hand. He is from Chaska High School. But as of now, the sense is the Twins would do a minor league deal, not a major league deal. The Twins would not touch the $7.5 million Matt Moore, a good reliever, got from the Angels a few days ago. But the Twins did have some dialogue with his representation. It was always crickets on Michael Fulmer, in spite of what Derek Falvey told me on December 20th, that they had interest in re-signing the reliever. The Twins just never picked up dialogue with his representation. So he's off to the Cubs, one year, $4 million. Clearly, if the Twins wanted Michael Fulmer back, they could have done that deal, but there just wasn't interest. The Twins remain interested in Gurriel, Yearly Gurriel, the former batting champion, from 2021, the former Houston Astro, but that's another situation like Brad Hand that the Twins would like him on a minor league deal. Byron Buxton, it'll be a slow buildup the first handful of days for spring training. The first full squad workout is on Monday. The way it's been described to me is it'll be in thirds, like the first third of spring training, some activity, then it'll ramp up that second third, then that final third heading into opening day is when he'll go all out. There are no concerns as of now about him being ready for opening day. Byron Buxton will be ready for opening day in Kansas City in late March. To the Major League Baseball draft, Twins draft boss Sean Johnson was at the Tennessee-Arizona game on Friday. Both starting pitchers, elite prospects. The Twins have the number five overall pick this summer. They moved up with this new draft lottery. The Twins had two other scouts watch LSU. LSU has two stud prospects, one position player, one pitcher. The pitcher pitched on Friday. The Twins had multiple eyeballs on him. The Texas Rangers and Kansas City Royals watched George Clawson of the Gophers on Saturday in Surprise, Arizona. He's the Gophers' top draft prospect. The starting pitcher 
uh, had some control issues, but he did hit 100 on the radar gun, hit 102 in fall ball. So because he can hit 100, the scouts are all over him. Will Rogers, 2021 Moundsview graduate. He is not a 2023 draft prospect, but he is a 2024 draft prospect. He had an unreal weekend for Arizona State. Hit a home run that went nearly 450 feet. Also had a walk-off game-winning hit. Remember that name, Will Rogers, catcher, but he's got some position flexibility. Remember that name one year from now for the 2024 draft, Will Rogers of Moundsview High School. To the Gophers men's basketball team, it was nice to be at the barn last night to see Dawson Garcia and Braden Carrington back from injury. Garcia missed, what was it, five games with that bone bruise that came in that game in Ann Arbor against Michigan. Who knew what a difference maker he can be. The Gophers had gone eight consecutive games without eclipsing 61 points. They got above 61 on Saturday night against Penn State, but lost by eight. They missed six free throws, including a few down the stretch. Just a horrible free throw shooting team. There were no NBA teams scouting the Gophers-Penn State game. Jaden Pickett, of Penn State had 30-something points on Saturday night. He is a guy, I'm telling you, he is climbing up draft boards. I do think he'll be there when the Wolves pick. They have that New York Knicks second-round pick, which will be like pick 50, 51, 49, 52, somewhere in that ballpark in June. Pickett is a guy the Wolves need to consider. Like, I just, I love the kid. He can do so much. He was so good on Saturday night. There were six NBA teams at the barn last weekend to watch Chris Murray of Iowa. Isaac Asuma of Cherry High School. Cherry is up on the Iron Range. He remains the Gophers' top 2024 recruiting target. In fact, his official recruiting trip with the Gophers took place this weekend. Head coach Ben Johnson is in zero trouble. I've had people ask me that, so I'll put that out there. Zero trouble. Now, we can have a different conversation one year from now if year three doesn't go well, but with everyone expected back, with Christie, with Evans coming in, you would hope, you would think the Gophers can make a pretty significant climb next season. Now, when I say significant, okay, they finished 14th in the conference this year. Can you get up as high as 8th, ninth, maybe even as high as 7th? I'm not talking 3rd or 4th, although weird things can happen. But I do think the Gophers have a chance to be relatively okay, which is significant. You know, in terms of where they've been the last two years, that's a pretty significant jump. I do think they can be relatively okay next year. The St. Thomas Athletic Department continues to fight the NCAA to change the five-year postseason ban. So an example, the men's basketball program. I was at the game a week ago. They beat Kansas City by 30, held Kansas City to 43 points. John Tower is such a good coach. This true freshman who's been on the podcast, Andrew Rohde, is so good. Like, they have a bunch of players that could play high major, but for sure, Andrew Rohde, like, he's not a mid-major player. He is a high-major player, freshman from Milwaukee. But here's the example. So, in a couple weeks in Sioux Falls, the Summit League tournament. Now, Oral Roberts is the overwhelming favorite. They have not lost a conference game. They are really good. They have a bunch of players back from that team a couple years ago that made it to the Sweet 16. So, in all likelihood, Oral Roberts is going to win the Summit League Tournament, get the automatic bid to the NCAA Tournament. But St. Thomas was within three points a couple weeks ago of Oral Roberts 
with under a minute to go. What that means is the Tommies can play with Oral Roberts. So what if the Tommies somehow spring an upset or somebody else springs an upset of Oral Roberts in Sioux Falls and St. Thomas wins the Summit League tournament? They're the third or fourth best team in the conference. South Dakota State is good. North Dakota State is good. But St. Thomas can play with those teams. But if St. Thomas, let's say, in a couple weeks wins the Summit League tournament, they cannot go to the NCAA tournament. Just making the jump from Division Three to Division One. there's a five-year waiting period. But Dr. Phil Eston, the St. Thomas AD, is relatively confident that at some point he'll be able to change that. So right now the Tommies are not postseason eligible until 2026. Can that be moved up even to 2025 or next year, 2024? They continue to fight for that. On the Wolves, Bones Highland. I've mentioned this a few other places, but not here on my specific podcast. Bones Highland was the second trade target that they nearly completed. So on trade deadline day, that Thursday, the Wolves got to use the football analogy or the cliche. The Wolves felt like they got just about to the five-yard line. They thought they had a deal done. They would have done what the Clippers did. In fact, they would have done more. But you've heard me mention this. There was a thought that the Denver ownership group was not willing to help Tim Connolly here in Minnesota. So even though the Wolves would have matched what the Clippers did, in fact, eclipsed it, that the Nuggets were not going to send Bones Highland here to Minnesota. Luca Garza has just a handful of games left on his two-way contract. So you're limited when you're on a two-way contract, how many games you can be active for. And that number is something like 7, 8, 9, 10. It's a low number. I mean, right now, Luca Garza is not eligible for the playoffs. But if the Wolves wanted to, they could convert him to a standard NBA deal. That is something that they have discussed internally. Now, the Wolves would have to make a move. Do you release Nate Knight? Do you release Austin Rivers? But these are conversations that the Wolves are having internally. They don't need to make a decision right this second. Connolly never wanted to extend D'Angelo Russell. I know all the stories that are out there, or at least a lot of them. There's a lot of stuff that can be said. Don't need to necessarily say them right now, now that Russell is gone. He's in L.A., but just know this. Tim Connolly never wanted to extend the pending free agent. I'm guessing the Lakers are going to pay him. This worked out brilliantly for D'Angelo Russell. But just remember, if Tim Connolly wanted D'Angelo Russell here for the next few years, an extension would have been done a long time ago. On the buyout market, Patrick Beverly, John Wall, Will Barton, all names that could make sense. But at the expense of who? Again, are you are you releasing Austin Rivers to bring in one of those guys? But there are connections to all those guys. Bev from being here last year, John Wall, Tim Connolly was in Washington with him, Marquise Watts in the Wolves front office, used to work for Clutch. So he knows John Wall. Really well, Will Barton, former Nugget. Tim Connolly knows him well, plus Will Barton from Baltimore, Tim Connolly from Baltimore. There's a connection to all those guys. But you need to ask yourself this question, at the expense of who? The Wolves have an interesting trip in early March in L.A. for four days. I don't have the specific schedule in front of me, but they play one of the L.A. teams on a Tuesday, then the other L.A. team on a Friday. So Mike Conley Jr. told me, hey, with a six-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old, his wife, his whole family is going to meet him in L.A. so they can spend some quality time together. His family not moving here to Minnesota, the six-year-old, in school. So the timing just stinks. But it's great that there will be an opportunity here. It's like February 28th to March 2nd, March 3rd. 
something like that, where the Wolves are in L.A., it's just so rare to be in L.A. to have all those days. Like normally if you play the Lakers on one day, you play the Clippers either the next night or the following night. But normally it's not two days in between. So just an interesting trip for the Wolves in Los Angeles forthcoming. On the Vikings, Kyrie Tonga, Blake Brandle, both back in $940,000. It's nice to be a team like the Vikings to have those restricted free agency rights. Like if either guy could hit the open market, they would have gotten more. I don't know how much more. Certainly in Blake's case, as a swing tackle, somebody that has started games, like he would have looked at, I would think, three to four to even $5 million. But the Vikings get him back. And $940,000. So what a steal. Yes, Zadarius Smith's house in the Southeast Metro is hitting the market. What that exactly means right now, I don't know. Why he even decided to buy in the first place when he easily could have rented, that I don't know either. So stay tuned, I guess, on that front. We do know changes are coming. It's just a matter of how many Two expected ways to create cap space. You restructure Brian O'Neill. That is a no-brainer. He'll still get his money. So that is a logical move. The Vikings will also push to extend TJ Hawkinson. Easier said than done. But there is clear interest in extending him as he enters the final year of his deal. All right, let's now get to interviews. A bunch of interviews. I had a chance a few days ago to sit down at Mayo Clinic Square with new Wolves point guard. He's under team control through next year, so presumably he'll be here for a bit. His name is Mike Conley Jr. Mike, now that you've been here, or at least part of the Wolves, not physically here in Minneapolis <laughs> right. very long, but now that you've been part of the organization for, you know, give or take, what, about a week, mm-hmm. what do you now know about being a Timberwolf that you didn't know, maybe that moment the trade hit going back to last Wednesday night? Yeah, um... Honestly, I had my first when I had my first practice was when I got like truly, truthfully like introduced to the culture and like how things are run and uh, how crisp and how precise, how detail oriented Coach Finch is, how the whole organization kind of runs, and um, it seemed like a seamless, like cohesive group. Um, Utah was similar, and this is very much, very much like that. And. Uh, the culture here is 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 built to become you know a winning winning team and and obviously the last few years they've they've changed that and they've they've kind of flipped everything and got the talent got the guys in here and um, it's it's uh, quite frankly just an exciting experience to know that this potential is all right here and we can do a lot of great things and for me to be a part of it is cool. What do you think the ceiling is? That's where I, we were talking about just a minute ago. The ceiling is. Like, what do we want? We want to win a championship. Like, I do. Uh, I know these guys, you know, you dream of that. Um, but we understand there's there's steps you take. There's steps we're going to have to take in the next 23 games, 20-so-odd so games to put ourselves in position to, to be there, to be in the playoffs, to have our, you know, have a chance at uh, competing at that high level. And uh, and we have all those pieces that can make that happen. We just have to figure it out in this, this period of time, chemistry-wise, getting guys back healthy, um, and like I said, the, the culture is being set, and, and I think we have a chance to do some really special things. Well, expand on that. How do you know that the pieces are in place? Well, you know, when you have a way I look at it, teams that are successful, they have a, a young guy who's, you know, beginning his 
you know, rookie contract or whatever. He, I don't know what Ant's deal is, but he's still, you know, his rookie deal probably. He is, yeah. I mean, uh, he won't even be yeah. 22 until August. Right. So he's still on his rookie deal, and he's one of the better players in the NBA. You have Cat, who's one of the better bigs in the NBA. You have Rudy, who's one of the better rim protector bigs in the NBA. Um, you have Jaden McDaniels, one of the better defenders in the league. Uh, and you just go down the list of, like, how teams are. But you add me, who's, you know, I feel like I'm a guy that kind of glues it all together and can do anything you want. But um, And it's a deep roster. You know, you got, you got a mix of young and old. You got uh, Prince. You got Rivers. You got uh, McLaughlin. Like, there's a bunch of guys who just play their role, play very hard, unselfish guys, willing to be led, willing to learn. Um, and you put Coach Finch in the, in the middle of all that, a great leader, a guy who doesn't, you know, skip over anything. Uh, I noticed that our film sessions are like, you know, 20 minutes long. It's just like every detail is just being put out there for us before the game to where if we mess up, we know, you know, it's, it's on you because they, they gave us all the info. So it's it's a exciting kind of mix of it, and uh, it kind of sets you up to like, hey, we can do things. If we if we do it the right way, we can we can get some stuff done. You brought up Cat's name. I'm just curious. I wonder if your full arsenal won't really be able to be shown to us until Cat is mm-hmm. back, which hopefully is sooner rather than later, but certainly at some point mm-hmm. this season. Would yeah. you agree with that assessment? Not agree? Um, it'd be, yeah, I think I'll be even more effective when he comes back too. But, like, to your point, like, even, like, Nas Reed can, you know, his pick-and-pop ability, um, which I'm used to playing with those kind of, you know, bigger guys too, um, I can be truthfully really effective with that. But now playing with both Cat and Rudy or whatever the lineups may be, um, it's going to open up a lot. And Cat is a unique individual where he can post up and draw two people every time for a double team. And, you know, I like to play off the weak side. I like to cut. I like to make plays for people and use my brain a little bit. And, you know, and, and that's going to be another aspect of the game that, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of teams have um, that I'm going to try to take advantage of. How great is the synergy, you and Rudy? I mean, the two-man numbers stick out in Utah. We can look at those numbers, but even the Dallas game, right? Like, mm-hmm. there was that one play, you know, the bounce pass, and he goes mm-hmm. in for the dunk. It just it seems like you two are very much on the same page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we probably ran more pick-and-rolls than anybody in the league the last four, four years, it felt like. And, um, and we actually, our minutes were uh, staggered together. So every time I went out, he went out. Every time I went in, he went in when we were in Utah. So... We literally played every minute together, and and just getting that kind of rapport and understanding, like where he likes the ball. Like there's times earlier in my you know tenure with him, I throw him the ball and it'd be like below his knee, and but for most people that'd be like right at your waist and like a perfect pass, and like it would get bobbled or hit his knee or whatever. I'm like, man, like how do I like adjust to that? But you know, there's certain ways to get him the ball, and there's certain ways that kind of make it easier for him to to be who he is and. Um, we haven't really connected on the lobs yet, but that's something that we uh, are very accustomed to doing and looking forward to getting them above the rim. What are some keys to keeping you on the court? You know this, you've missed a good amount of games going back to, what, your second year in the mm-hmm. league. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking this is going to be a great marriage as long as you stay on the court. Right. What are some keys to keeping you on the court? I think this, uh, this staff here, the, the training staff here, um, awesome. Um, but I've taken it uh, to heart over the last season two seasons just to really like exhaust myself in that area of, the, uh, of my game spend less time out here more time in there uh, I lift a lot I you know strengthen a lot 
I think I played 72 games last year. This year I missed a few because I had a little hiccup with an injury, a little bad step. But other than that, I've played pretty much all the games, and um, I'm trying to continue that. And I think I've, we found something, a good, a good little mix of you know things to do in there and out here that's kept me upright and feeling really good and moving really well. Um, so hopefully we continue to do that. You touched briefly on Ampa. Do you see shades mm-hmm. of what you saw with Donovan in Utah as Donovan was, was ascending? Yeah, uh, they're very similar, very similar. You know, Don um, has a lot of the things that Ant can do, and I think Ant, you know, his, what's impressed me most about Ant is his willingness on the defensive end to take challenges. Like he, like last night you saw at the end of the game, he, coach asked if we wanted to foul. He said no. He said, we wanna, I want to guard. I want to win this game, and he, he did it. Him and Jaden up top there, it was like really – cool to see that come from a 21 year old who takes a challenge against one of the better offensive players of our generation so it was pretty cool better athlete you or your dad ah I, I give it to my dad I told him he just runs straight and jumps but everything else I got him do some people forget about your dad though right yeah. like I see oftentimes your story is you know written with just Mike Conley not Mike Conley Jr. yeah and I'm thinking you're Mike Conley Jr. right like let's not forget about Mike Conley Sr. right right I think they do and and uh I think he's uh he's always waiting for the one person to bring up like oh I know your dad or like oh I'm a big fan of what he used to do because he's very proud of his accomplishments just like we all are in our family and I think it's uh, a great incredible achievements and for him to do it as long as he did and have a I had a role model like him like I, I can't beat that you know growing up so I'm just proud of him always but uh, you know, I've kind of stolen the, the limelight from him for a little while one final quickie Sarah what about you will surprise us as we get to know you like I'll give you one I know John Lohr your former teammate from Memphis <laughs> he's from here he's like yeah. Mike is an unreal golfer oh like, yeah. you don't want to play him on the golf course yeah. like, he's going to take all your money yeah. <laughs> like what will surprise you us about you as we get to know you um I do a lot of things, man. Like you said, like I, I golf, like, and I dive into anything. I like, I get addicted to it. So like golf, I got addicted to, and now I just, I got to be great at it. Like same with like a video game, same with bowling, uh, ping pong, like anything you think of, like I'll, I'll play it or and I'll be really good at it because I just want to be. So, um, you know, if you see me doing something, I'm, I'm not gonna be down here with it. I'm gonna make sure that I, I can, I can be good at it. Dell Demps in the Wolves front office, coached in Utah under Quinn Snyder. So he's fluctuated front office to coaching. Now back in the front office with the Wolves, Dell Demps knows all about Mike Conley Jr. So Dell Demps had his fingerprints on that transaction. Chris Finch knows Nikhil Alexander Walker relatively well. They were in New Orleans together a couple years ago when Finch was an assistant coach. With the Pelicans, I also had a chance to catch up with the other new Wolf. His name is Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Nikhil, sometimes, oftentimes, heck, a change of scenery is a good thing. Is that how you look at this situation, saying, hey, you know what, Utah was good, but my history with Chris Finch from our time together in New Orleans, like Minnesota can be really, really good? Uh, uh, I think optimism is a, is a great word to use right now. And to be optimistic, uh, I think everything's an opportunity, and I can only be positive. Um, one thing about life is that it doesn't wait for you to feel like you got it together, and neither does the opportunity and the chances that you want. Um, so for me, it's just been figuring it out. Like, yeah, I've been traded. Uh, 
literally since I entered the league from draft night to to like two back-to-back deadlines so I think it's just been a story of my life to just kind of just figure it out you know Uh, make the most of everything that I can like you're saying and uh, it does help being with familiar faces and growing and learning and just being eager to do that. Why do you think you've been moved as often as you have. Now, some of it's just, yeah. like, weren't you like a Portland Trailblazer for like two yeah. seconds? Yeah, probably like a minute and a half. So that yeah. was sort of part of that transaction. Mm-hmm. But So I don't know mm-hmm. if we can count that one, but why do you think that has been the case? No, that's a question that's beyond me. That is, truly is. It truly is beyond me, and that's the business of the NBA. Uh, I wish I could not I could answer that, and that's a, that's a good question to bring up. Uh, because I think I would like to know, but at the same time, maybe that's the beauty in and of in and of itself. You know, like this is my story, and this is how it's being written. And down the line, who knows what it could turn out to be? And this was just all the little small things that I need to go through to be the stronger version to where I'm going to get to. Think about your last year at Virginia Tech, how good you were to put yourself in a position mm-hmm. to be, you know, what, pick whatever it was, yeah. like right outside the lottery. Like yeah. one of the best players in the country, best draft prospects, that 2019 draft. Like what can you do to get back to that point? And I get it, the ACC is not the NBA, but we know that you can play at an incredibly high level. What needs mm-hmm. to take place for you to get back to that point? Uh, I think consistency um, for starting for myself. Um can't really talk about the things that I can't control. So for me, um, one thing that I have done better than ever is my dedication and approach, my routine, my regiment, being a true professional off the court, and then implement it on the court. Uh, so for me, I feel like I'm that guy. Uh, I don't think, uh, one of my best friends always says this to me, people don't change, they evolve. And um, I feel like I've evolved and become a better version of myself, a better version of that 2019 guy. And I just know when that time comes, people will see it. And it's not, and it's not for me to worry about. Um, this organization seen something in me to want to trade for me and throw me in there. So I'm grateful for that opportunity and the positive of that. And I'm just going to stay ready. I'm going to continue to work. And when my name's called, do what I have to do. Who is that friend and who are the people in your your circle of trust? Um, well, funny enough, he'll tell you his name's Jonathan, but his name's Goggles. Okay. Uh, so I, I already Does he wear goggles? Him. Yeah, it, okay. it's, it's, it's a long time joke. I've known him since I was nine years old. Okay. Um, so yeah, like he, we, he goes by Goggles, nothing else. He's not allowed to be called Jonathan. I already told him that. Um, but just everyone in my family, like uh, my mom's been there and uh, she's been a solid rock for me um, because her faith never wavers. And she knows who I am, and she knows what I can be, and she tells me that every day. Um, for me, not having a dad, but for having her, uh, my cousin Shay's dad, being like a father figure to me, and, and that same confidence within my family. And my circle believes in it, and I think one of the cool things about it is, is every success story sounds something like similar you know Steve Jobs was kicked out of Apple before they brought him back um, a lot of a lot of some people start in uh, 
tribulation, so I'm, I'm happy for it. When your game is on, what does that look like? Both ends, really. I mean, are you mm -hmm. guarding multiple positions on the defensive end? Mm -hmm. Are you attacking the rim, getting to the free throw line a lot on the offensive end? Like, when you're playing at your best, what does that look like? Uh, I would feel like affecting the game defensively and offensively. Um, offensively with great pace. Defensively with the ability to disrupt team's best players, get my hands active, um, physical, learning to embrace that more in that side of the game, taking the weight more serious, working on my body, and uh, bring that, that fire to competing and the passion and the energy again. Did you ever think you would end up here pre-draft 2019? If I recall, Gerson Rosas was in charge here. Yeah. If I remember, there was a decent amount of interest in yeah. you. I don't know how exactly the board was stacked, but did you think there was a chance maybe you'd end up here pre-draft? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be very honest with you. I killed that workout, and I was, I was very confident in it being a possibility until, I guess, the trade with the picks, and, you know, you got a chance to trade up and get someone better, you know or better I guess um, yeah I, I was I was very confident in the fact of, of my workout I thought yeah I'm gonna have a chance uh, to, to come here and um, just how it all went down it was pretty cool you know having the 11th pick Shea was the 11th pick um, but I'm here now you know you know Mike Conley Jr. way better than we do <laughs> See a better person or a better player? It's tough. It's tough because one thing I will say that's equivalent to it is you can't measure his worth in what you see as a person and as a player. Um, Mike has been a big brother to me and uh, someone I could just really talk to. Like, in a way, I didn't think I'd be able to talk to, like, teammates because, you know, it's still a business and you don't know who you can trust. But at the same time, like, that's someone that I've built a true brotherhood with. Um, probably, like, confided in him and real life secrets about how to operate in this business. And then as well as the mental aspect, as well as basketball and what he sees from how he's been successful. I mean, there's nothing that I haven't been able to talk to him about yet. And... Um, He's going to be a great leader here and a great teammate. I'll hit you with a couple more, and then I'll let you go. What about you will surprise us? As we get to know you, what will surprise us? Uh, I guess, um, humbly, I think I'm just a better player than people think. Uh, I think, you know, when you look at my numbers and look at the stat stuff, and it's been talked about, and it's like a comment I've seen. Um, a lot of times people like tend to judge off that and, and all those things and for me it's like I've learned to let go of judgment and what people think but I know I'm a better player than what people think and I know that uh, given that chance I'll prove so what else is important to know about you that'll um, be my last one what else should we know as we tell your story I like to read. I like. I love food. One day I hope to learn how to cook. Uh, big on fashion and sneakers. Got some OCD a little bit, so I'm very clean, very tidy, very in order. But uh, outside of that, you know, I'm just the average Joe.
do you enjoy the outdoors? Like, Utah had a lot to offer I, in that regard, so does Minnesota. I, I do enjoy the outdoors. One thing I started to do more is walk. Like, just walk around, enjoy it, like 10 to 15 minutes, partially to get uh, some some steps in on this aura ring. But outside of that, like, just enjoying life. Are you an introvert or extrovert? Mm, depends. You got to break the shell first. Once I warm up, I'm an I'm extrovert. At first, you know, I'm very introverted. Uh, cool, you know. I've been I've been shy my whole life. Like that's one one thing that I've hoped to break out of. Uh, uh, my family, extroverts, which made me introvert. Like just seeing them, I'm like ah, they're crazy. Like I gotta ease up. So, but when I get around them, when I get around my friends, I'm an extrovert. You know, one more hit me. Any of those tattoos have special meaning? Um, Maybe they all do, but is there one in particular where you're like... Yeah, there's not one that doesn't really, but uh, I would say, like, I guess my whole right arm is just story of, like, where I've came up in my life. Um, being from Scarborough, uh, right here is, like, the apartment building I grew up in and had so many memories and to the street name and... Uh, it's where it started for me, like where that dream came alive, where basketball was first introduced, and so forth. You heard me hit on it with Alexander Walker. I just know Gerson Rosas was a big fan pre-draft. Now, he also liked Domboya. There were some other guys, so I don't know if the Wolves had stayed at 11, if Alexander Walker was exactly the guy, and ultimately the Wolves moved up. The target was Darius Garland, Cleveland. Ends up taking him at five, surprised the Wolves. So the Wolves end up with Jared Culver. But I just know that pre-draft, Rosas, other people with the Wolves were very high on Nikhil Alexander-Walker for whatever that is worth. All right, let's now get to some football. John Michael Schmitz, the former Gopher, could have been a pretty high pick a year ago in the 2022 draft, but he wanted to come back with the Gophers for a sixth year. He is now considered the number one center available. He kicked serious ass in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl. I bet he'll kick some serious ass in a couple weeks at the Combine in Indianapolis. I had a chance to catch up with John Michael. When I spoke with him, it was before he kicked ass in Mobile. So this interview was done a few days prior to him heading down to Alabama, but the talking points still apply. Here is my recent conversation with former Gopher Center, the top draft eligible center in many people's minds. John Michael Schmitz. John Michael, let's start with the work you put in today so far. First with Bill, then with Alex, with AQ. Like, how valuable are these workouts? I mean, yeah, the, just looking at it as, a, like, a full perspective, getting that combine training in, but also getting the indie work in with Alex Boone, having AQ Shipley, like, one of the best centers there, uh, there were uh, to, be, to come down here and help me train, help me uh, – uh, fix what I needed to get fixed, and uh, I mean, it's a definitely an advantage to uh, to be at this position and be at this uh, training facility. So yeah, how much is it just go time right now? Like there is no stopping just to even just catch your breath. Next thing you know, you'll be in Mobile, then the Combine. It's just it's a crazy time right now. Yeah, no, it is. But you also gotta like uh, take time and uh, like just go. Just day by day, and just uh, just keep working to get better each and every day. Just that one little thing that you're working on, and uh, you just can't get frustrated with the process. And 
like uh, uh, Bill always uh, always says, trust the process, trust the process. Like it's going to come. So never get frustrated with it. What's your selling point to NFL teams? Uh, just uh, I would say just uh, my toughness, my ability to bend, my ability to get out in space, um, and just the ability. Uh, like we 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 always said uh, at the University of Minnesota, my how, like uh, just. How I, do it, how I do one thing is how I do everything, and that's at full speed. So, How much different are these workouts, what you're working on here? Like I saw EQ at one point say, like, here's a situation. I didn't hear all the particulars, but like DeMario Davis, right? And, like, you're working on very specific stuff there. I imagine that was a third down play, maybe some pass yeah. protection. But, like, compared to the training you got, because I know how good a coach Coach Callahan is, yeah. but, like, the coaching you got at the U and now what you're doing here, like how much next level is this stuff? Yeah, I mean – Credit to Coach Callahan, put me in a great position uh, to just to be at that position where I was uh, to the start of training. But it just put more of a focus, more of a spotlight on what I needed to get better at, what I needed to focus more on, uh, and it just comes of uh, like your NFL IQ. Like the the smarter you are, the better you're going to be. And uh, yeah. When did the dream of being an NFL player? When did it hit you that it can be a reality? Um, always had a dream. I mean, I started playing football when I was five years old. Always in my head that I wanted to, uh, to be in NFL. That's what I wanted to do. And um, I don't know. Just always had that passion for it. Ever, whenever I got in the field, I knew that was uh, my happy place. And that's what I wanted to do. Is there a certain blocking scheme that fits your skill set better than another? Or do you have that flexibility where it doesn't matter? Yeah, I mean, uh, I can block it all. I mean, I'm used to a zone scheme. That's what we ran in uh, uh, at the University of Minnesota, but I'm used to it all. Um, I could fit in whatever scheme you, uh, that a team needs me to be. Where do you need to get better? As you know, as the competition's about to ramp up come July, August, preseason, and then regular season, September, where do you need to improve? I mean, just knowing um, at the University of Minnesota, we didn't really uh, – uh, I would say, like, uh, I didn't really get enough pass pro sets, and that's where, I, uh, that's where uh, uh, I feel like I need to work on to get better. Um, and I have been. I mean, Boone, um, AQ, uh, they've just been breaking down uh, all my pass sets, just critiquing every little thing, every little detail for me to keep getting better and um, just taking that little by little and just keep, uh, just keep uh, making little improvements here and there, so. How do you view your Gophers legacy? Uh, I mean, just the class I came in with. It's special. I mean, you have uh, Tanner Morgan, Mohammed. Uh, you got Chris Ambell. You got, uh, I mean, guys that uh, left uh, before me um, that then come back for the year, like a Boye, like a Sezi. But, uh, I mean, those are all guys that are going to be in the NFL. So, I mean, it's, it's a special group and uh, definitely going to miss those guys. Why did you come back? Why was it important for you to come back? Because you know this. You could have gone through this process this time last year. You would have been a pretty high pick in the 22 draft. Why was it important for you to play that six year at the U? For my team. I felt like uh, there was uh, a little more I wanted to accomplish at the University of Minnesota. I had uh, goals that I set when I got to college and just had I wanted one more chance at it. And, uh, yeah, that's what I'm it was just for my team. Any frustration that you guys came so close, so close to knocking through that door of winning the Big Ten West? You accomplished so much, right? Yeah. I mean, you think about 
10-win seasons and 9-win seasons and all that stuff that hadn't been done here for a long time. So the legacy is pretty clear. But is there any frustration that you couldn't just all the way knock through that door to win the West? Uh, I mean, yeah, just having those like couple seasons, a game, uh, a game out of uh, being in that Big Ten championship. I mean, obviously your goal to start the season is to get to Indy. And just to come up just short of that is, uh, it is, it is frustrating, but you can't get frustrated with the process. It's always in, uh, just got to keep improving and yeah. How much do you lean on some of the guys you just laid out, a Sezi or Boye or I think about Fa lately? Like, yeah, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, do you lean on those guys for advice? I do. I mean, I've been in contact with those guys, just helping me along with the process. I mean, they've been, they were just in my shoes. They went to the senior bowl. They went to the combine. They, uh, they did it all, pro day and then, of course, the draft. So, I mean, just getting insight from them, learning from them. I mean, what, what could, if they went back and they did it, redid it or uh, do it over again, like what would they do different? So just lean on them for answers and uh, just guide me through the process. So, You remember this better than I, but wasn't Daniel like the first Gophers offensive lineman drafted in like a really long time, and now you'll make it back-to-back years? Like how cool is that? It is. I mean, uh yeah, Daniel's a special player. I mean, just bringing the, uh, back what, uh, I mean, Minnesota Gophers all about, uh, the offensive linemen. Uh, and I got to give credit to Coach Callahan. Uh, he's a great coach. I mean, he really cares about his players. And uh, uh, he put us in the best position possible to, to be where we're at today. So, I know we're a few months out, but have you envisioned that moment, whether it's that Thursday night or that Friday of the draft with the so-and-so pick, the Chicago Bears, maybe your home state team, or the Minnesota Vikings, or whomever, select John Michael Schmitz, University of Minnesota. Have you envisioned what that moment will be like? Uh, definitely uh, did not, uh, not, not too worried about that right now. I'm, right now I'm really focused on uh, just uh, competing it, uh, in Mobile, Alabama, and then taking it step-by-step step each and every day. And like Bill always says, trust the process. Are you one that has a chip on your shoulder? Do you feel like when you go down to Mobile, when you head to the Combine, that you have a lot to prove? Uh, I'd say it's a crack. I mean, at the University of Minnesota, it's more of a crack that I want to prove to myself that I, can, that I belong, that I'm one of the best uh, to be there. So, John Michael Schmitz is doing his pre-Combine training at Training House in Egan under the watchful eye of a couple people, including this guy, noted trainer, Him and I go way back, used to train Larry Fitzgerald Jr. He is a great guy. Here is a little bit with Bill Welly on John Michael Schmitz. All right, while I have you, John Michael Schmitz. Yep. Not quite sure Mobile could have gone any better. Like, Mm. the accolades coming out of Mobile after last week are through the roof. Yeah, he really, really performed well. I got to give a lot of credit to Alex Boone. Uh, and his work that he's been doing with him. Obviously, he's doing the speed and strength stuff with us and getting him situated for the actual change of direction that, that'll happen at the Combine. But, yeah, he performed well beyond our expectations. Maybe What did you know about him before you started working with him? I've worked with because him. Because you probably knew, I mean, right, just being here in town, him being the Gopher Center, you yeah. probably knew enough, but now what do you know about him that you didn't know before? So he worked out with us uh, last year. And then came and kind of enjoyed what he was doing, brought a couple of teammates uh, during spring break. Um, so we got to, got to know John a little bit. And uh, I, the more I talk to people, the more that, especially that have been around him, they absolutely love the guy. Like, if you had a guy that you 
didn't want to, if you were a defensive player and didn't want to go up against, who would it be? And there's like John Michael. Or who, what teammate do you want? It would be John Michael, right? So he's, he's done really, really well. And he's, again, he's very humble. He, he's not boastful. He comes in, Bill, how are you? I'm good, you? You know, so he's, he's fun to work with. I mean, unflappable, right? I mean, Alex was telling me, like, we've tried to break him. Me and AQ, like, we went to dinner the night before we first started working with him. We said, hey, we got to break this kid. They can't break him. No, he's just a, he's an oak tree, just solid. Everything, I mean, even in mobile, like, you watch some of the clips, he's just rock solid, immobile. <laughs> yeah. Which is fun. So Bill is doing a lot of the 40-time work, the running work, but when it comes to technique, it's Alex Boone, the former Viking, the former 49er, a fixture on Score North. So Alex Boone and A.Q. Shipley have been working with John Michael Schmitz on his technique, everything that entails blocking. Here is my conversation with Alex Boone about John Michael Schmitz. Alex, just how great is this for you to get your hands back into the game? I mean, you know, this has to be so cool, especially to work with somebody like John Michael Schmitz, who's going to be presumably a very high pick. Oh, it's incredible. Like you said, to get back into the game, to give back to the game, you, to have so much passion still for it and to see these guys in here working every day, it's a joy. It really is. And J. Mike, he's one of the best. He's a super polished player. It's fun to come in here and try and push him and challenge him at the same time. Yeah, I mean, what's that balancing act of you want to push him, but you don't want to do it too much, right? No, no. You, you want to make sure he still likes you. Oh, absolutely. But at the end of the day, like most good trainers, you have a love-hate relationship with them. As you're working, you hate them, and that should be like that. We're here to make it extremely hard because when you go out there, it's insane. And so I want it to be comfortable and calm for you. And so in here, we, we challenge him extremely hard, and he, he rises every day to it. I mean, not just John Michael, but I think of all the kids that were in here, you and AQ, like, think about AQ's NFL experience, your NFL experience. Like, it can't get any better than that. No, it's incredible. And it was great because, you know, we had the boys in yesterday, and every Wednesday we bring them in and we, we talk, and we let AQ talk a little bit, and then we break down film. And it's funny because as he's talking, we've never really gone over philosophies. We're best friends. He's saying the same exact things I'm saying. We didn't even have to go over it. And it's, it's, it's funny because all great linemen see it the same. We're, we all preach the same thing, and we're all trying to tell the guys the same things, but when you get out there, you just don't do it like that, and it drives us nuts. And so the more repetition we can get in here and the more we can show you on the big board, hey, this is what you're doing. You're looking like this. It's not good. The more they start to understand. With John Michael, is it all about pass protection that they ran the ball so much at the U? And I get it. Yeah. Guess what? They won a lot of games, right? right? It was a recipe for success. But, yeah. like, outside of the you know, military institutions, nobody really ran the ball the last couple of years as much as the U. So is it all about pass protection with John Michael? No, not at all. I mean, there's so many things in the run game that we still have to teach them. There's so many zone things. There's tosses, there's cracks, there's powers and draws and isos. There's so many new nuances that they have to learn. College is such a different game for us. It's such a wider game. It expands so much faster. Guys don't really have such great technique. So when you come to the NFL, you have to have perfect technique. Everybody's strong. Everybody's fast. We all do the same thing. It's who can understand the defense or offense better and who at the same time can put themselves in the right position to succeed. And when you do that as an NFL player, that's how you learn to play longer and longer. It's his mental capability off the charts? It's ridiculous. So we put him up yesterday on the board, and we haven't gone over a bear front. AQ threw him up there and started hammering home because he's going to go sit down with the guys like Bill Belichick and all these coaches, and they're going to want to know, hey, listen, in a pressure situation, how do you act? Are you calm? Are you cool? Are you shaking? Because if you're shaking, it's going to make me nervous, right? And as a vet and as a coach, you're looking at that saying, I don't want this kid to get rattled at all. So we're trying to break him open, but we have yet to succeed. 
Yeah, I mean, he's just, he's so cool, calm, collected, just so mild-mannered, but I would think that translates well to the football field. It's incredible because when he's out there, you can see the intensity, and he understands it, and he just throws his hands so hard. He's an extremely violent player, which we love as an offensive lineman, but at the same time, having the mental capability to know where to put guys and where to put himself in this offense, it's extremely hard, and he does a great job of it. Does he have a weakness? Yeah, he does. I think all linemen have a weakness. We're, there's always something that we can be working on, whether it's sitting low, better with our hands, better with our eyes, better with our footwork. There's always something to be working. I mean, year 10, I remember being in the gym with guys that were year 10 myself, and we're still working on things, still trying to critique ourselves. I mean, we all fall into this human capability things where we forget to stay low or throw our hands, and it's like, how do I make this better? How do I make this so I don't even have to think about it anymore? And this needs to be second nature, an instinct. And as soon as we can do that, we can move on. How crazy is the pre-draft process? Take me back to when you were coming out of Ohio State. I know it's changed some, but, like, it's just, it's nonstop, though, isn't it? Like, you don't even get to catch your breath here. Do you want to, though? I mean, that's what this is all about. I mean, I look back on this journey, and it was exactly that. It was a great journey. And so many people, I remember, they were like, hey, man, just hang on. Just hang on and it'll get better. And it's, you're constantly being pulled in so many different directions. You're here, you're at the combine, you're at the all-star game, you're back at school doing workouts, you come back here, you get drafted, you go to the team, you come back here, you go to the team. I mean, you're all over, but within the whole chaos of it, you just need to be calm. And that's what we're trying to teach them is, hey, people are going to be pulling you, they're going to be prodding you, they're going to try and figure out who are you really. We're going to find out who you really are. You just got to be calm in the whole scenario. You know, they're trying to figure out what, what breaks you, what makes this guy and all this. And, and through it all, it's a lot of fun. What else is important for us to know about John Michael as we tell his pre-draft story? I think the fact that he works so hard. I mean, he really does. And I see guys all the time, and I see guys on Instagram, and I see guys everywhere. And I just don't see guys working as hard as I do in here. And I, we put him up on the board, literally, A.Q. Shipley. He's on Pat McAfee's show all the time, talking about great blocks from O-Lyman. And here he is in here trying to break John Michael. And he came to me like, dude, this kid is smart. I was like, that's what they want, isn't it? That's exactly what they want. They want a smart center that's going to come out and be violent. And I think he has a great chance of doing that. His skill set translates to any blocking scheme. I mean, I know they went zone blocking at the U, but it doesn't matter. No, he's extremely strong. I think that's the one thing is so many people see, like, are you a zone runner or are you a power running? You know, and as as John Michael goes, he's going to be great with the zone, but he's so strong in his lower body that he can lift guys out of their place. So inside zone, power game, all that will come simple to him. I love Alex. The energy level is off the charts. I spoke with him. It was relatively early in the morning. Hadn't had my coffee. I needed a jolt. He gave me that jolt. The man's energy is off the charts. All right, let's now transition to Bloomington Jefferson, junior guard, Daniel Freetag. I'm baffled. I know the Gophers only have so many scholarships, but like the fact that the Gophers are not pursuing him just doesn't make sense. Wisconsin wants him. Virginia wants him. He's also an elite football player, just an incredible athlete. But I really enjoy watching him play basketball. I get it. The Gophers are prioritizing Isaac Asuma. I understand that. That's fine. But I'm a big Daniel Freetag fan. I was at Jefferson practice a few days ago catching up with Daniel Freetag. Daniel, before we get to some of your individual accolades, team-wise, I was talking to Coach about this, it seems like you guys here are peaking at the right time is what there's only about six games left in the regular season next thing you know it's winter go home it's playoff time would you agree with that assessment that you guys are peaking here at the right time absolutely i think if you look at our record it doesn't at all show you know the tremendous strides we've made um i mean you want to play your best basketball at the end of the year and that seems to be when we play our best basketball every year so you know i knew it was going to come when we started off slow and i mean we're we're we're, where we want to be uh right now when you guys are clicking, when it's working well, what does that look like? 
Ah, oh, man, just a bunch of assists. I think our best games is when, you know, I score because of him and he scores because of me. But I think when, when we play our worst basketball, it's, it's a lot of, you know, shots without an assist before it, you know. So when we get a lot of assists, that's when we're playing our best basketball. How do you size up the section playoffs? Ah, oh, man, I know, I know we got a tough one. Um, I know with our lack of size and Eastview's, you know, tremendous size, we, we definitely got it cut out for us. But, um, you know, the group of guys we got that want to work hard and win that game, we, I mean, I don't see why we couldn't. How have you grown as a player this year? Uh, definitely my, my leadership. I think um, before any, anything else, I was a sophomore on a senior-led team last year. And so it was kind of even between me and the other seniors and the, the captains last year. But, you know, this year being with a whole, a whole new batch of guys, um, myself and Blake being the only returning varsity players, it's a lot of new guys, a lot of new sets that a lot of new guys have to learn. And just, I don't know, I mean, my patience and my leadership for sure. Is that why you knew that it would take some time, but that it would eventually get to the point of it clicking because of all this newness? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you look at a new group. No one's going to click in the first two weeks. Um, it takes some time, and it takes takes a lot of practice. And, you know, we've, we've been putting in overtime since, so we can, you know, make up for the teams that have been playing together for three years now. So I definitely saw it coming. All right, let's go sequentially. Last time you and I chatted was football season October. Since then, Notre Dame offers. Like, that's one of those high-profile offers, right? I mean, the Gophers offer is great. You have a bunch of good offers. But when Notre Dame offers... Like, how big of a deal is that? Yeah, it's a huge deal, and I can tell it's a huge deal from reactions like yourself. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people are fans of Notre Dame, and a lot of people understand how, how you know, prestigious that, that offer is. And, you know, I'm, I'm well aware, and, I mean, I'm just grateful. And then right before that was Gophers Junior Day. You keep spending more and more time when you can over on campus. What stood out about Junior Day? The junior day was great. I was expecting, you know, not very personal to me. I brought my mom. That was my first junior day. I brought my mom and told her, like, hey, this isn't going to be like any other visits we've been on. This is going to be solely, I'm just like another number. And we showed up, and there was, you know, an eighth of the people I thought was going to be there. We showed up, and we were greeted by almost every single coach. And we, we sat down and talked to almost every single coach for quality time and it was very personal to me and it almost felt like a visit on my own like so I was very impressed by that and it was definitely my my favorite of the junior days so far how many have you been to then lay out all the junior days you've been to I have only been to two so I guess that that was misleading but it was it was definitely just one of my favorite visits even even with it being a junior day and not Daniel Freetag day you know on how most visits are most visits are you know you're down there alone and you know, this time I was there with 25 other athletes, and it still felt very personal to me. Okay, so what was the other junior day visit you took? I uh, Yesterday or two days ago, I went to St. Thomas for their junior day. Very cool. So, I mean, is there interest, genuine interest in staying here in town, if you can? I, I could see it. Um, you know, I'm not opposed to staying, and I'm not opposed to leaving. You know, it's just uh, the program. You know, the weather doesn't matter to me. Really, the location doesn't matter. It's just, you know, how well do I fit? Well, and the fit is, is it football or basketball? So where do things stand as you weigh both of those? It's still its still in the air. It still changes every day. I'm still on the fence about it. So, I mean, hopefully next checkup I know. But as of right now, I do not know. Are you more on the fence now, leaning the football direction than ever before because of the Notre Dame offer? Like, as I've always thought, I'll just be honest, Daniel. I've thought for a long time, and I know some people that know you, and I just have been led to believe he's going to play college basketball. But it seems like when Notre Dame offers... I just wonder if that changes things more than ever before. Tell me if I'm off on that or if I'm on to something. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, even with the Minnesota offer, you know, last time we checked up, 
I mean, you, you see that, and then you see eight basketball offers, and it's kind of like, oh, he's going to play basketball. But when you see a Notre Dame football offer, you know, that's not handed out to everybody. And so, you know, it definitely, it definitely you know, makes me a little bit more questionable about what I'm better at. But, um, man, I guess we'll see. I think you're better at basketball, but what do you think? Man. You put- I'm not taking away anything on the football field. I just think you're an unbelievable basketball player. Absolutely. I think... It's just easier to take over a basketball game than it is football, so I think that's probably why. But I think you put the right guys around me in football, I think I could probably be better at football. So where are things at on the basketball recruiting front? Like who's who's interested or who's offered? Like where are we at? Update us on that. Um, I'd say the, the schools that reach out most currently is Wisconsin basketball, Virginia basketball, and I'd say, yeah, I'd say those two kind of lead the pack in, in that essence. You know, I, I never really look at it as – you know, who who do I fit in with? It's kind of like, who fits me? You know, who reaches out to me the most? You know, because, I mean, the recruiting, like, the whole the whole thing about it is how your college experience is going to be. You know, if they give you barely any attention now, you know, you think it's going to change when you get there? Probably not. So I've always, I, I count, you know, almost how many texts I'm getting from each coach, you know, and I'm counting how many calls I'm getting. How many times they come to a game, I, I have all of that, you know, written down, and I, I, I save everything in the mail, everything, just to see, you know, because, you know, at, at the end, it's going to be hard to remember who was talking to me about what, but, you know, if I have a number where it's 600 calls to eight calls, even if that eight calls feels really good, I mean, only had eight calls, so, I, I don't know, I, I'd say those two are in the pack, though. I mean, those two, though, are off the charts. I mean, one won a national championship not that long ago. The other played, what, 2015 for a national championship. They go to the NCAA tournament every year. Like, when you think Wisconsin and Virginia basketball, about as good as it gets. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're very good programs, and I mean, you can't name very many better. So, I mean, basketball season ends, what, hopefully mid to late March, but could end earlier than that so what's the plan from that point forward will you play some aau is it football training like what do the next handful of months look like so on the off season i usually you know train both um i know it is easier to kind of stay in football shape than it is basketball if you go a week without touching a basketball it gets pretty tough to get it back or if you if you go a week without catching a football you can kind of get it back faster but uh just sticking with what i've been doing and you know hopefully it is as late as possible after that that sixth game in a state championship uh ring but I mean, just doing what I, I've been doing that's gotten me where I'm at and just uh, definitely definitely locking in more on my recruitment then. I think, you know, with the high school season right now, it would be kind of, I don't know, shortening my teammates of, you know, me if, I, if my head's in where I'm going to college instead of, you know, who I play for right now. So, you know, I've been, I've been staying away from recruiting visits and you know, maybe talking as much as I could be to different schools and stuff just to give, you know, everyone else a I don't know, full experience. Is the plan to play for Pulley again for AAU? I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. As of right now, yeah. But you'll play AAU one way or another. I mean, that's the plan. Like basketball, full steam ahead at some point here. Does that ramp up like in April sometime? Yeah, yeah, around then. um, But, yeah, AAU's for sure. What else is important to know, I mean, as we catch up with you for the first time in in a few months? I mean, shoot, just that decision of which sport or maybe both sports, I think that'll, you know, change things a lot um i could definitely see some some maybe programs joining um you know the offer list if i choose a sport you know and things like that so um i mean yeah i guess we'll see you next time I'll leave it with this. i hear you've turned into an unbelievable rebound you're probably a pretty good rebounder but has your rebounding taken another level this year i 
I feel as if it it has. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of stuff on like Twitter and a lot of videos, and you know, just going through the huddle the huddle clips. It seems that way. Um, you know, being one of the tallest on the team at six foot two, I mean, you kind of gotta gotta take the lead. Um, just yeah, just using the vertical really. I mean, if you could just figure out like it's, if it's a shot from the left corner, it's probably gonna go here. If I could just time that with my vertical, you could probably rebound over anyone. So yeah, I'd say it's gotten better. How often are you grabbing the rebound and literally going baseline to baseline and, and scoring just like that? A few times a game probably. I've, I've noticed it when I'm watching the film. And I would think even too, just with your pull-up game, right? Like there are probably times you're pulling up at the free throw line and just shooting it that way? Yeah, yeah. I've seen a few clips like that as well. So, I mean, is that like conscious or are you just saying, okay, I'm going to go out, I'm going to look, I mean, pass first, but if there's nobody open, hey, I got to take the shot? Yeah, absolutely. After I get a rebound, I think, I, I think it's a lost skill for sure. I mean, I'm no big man, but... You know, I know the, the ins and outs of it. I mean, I, I see a lot of guys skipping the fundamental steps of it, and it's kind of just if I don't see anyone ahead of me that I can pass to, I'll push it myself, being the point guard. And, you know, once somebody else is open, I'm, I'm going to swing it to them. But, you know, if nobody else is open, I, I kind of like my chances getting downhill and, you know, getting to the basket. And if, if that's cut off, I like my chances with the pull-up. So, yes, sir. P.J. Fleck wants Daniel big time. How about Notre Dame? I mean, that is a big-time football offer. Still think he may go basketball, not football, in college. But when Notre Dame offers you for football, that is off the charts. Congratulations to Daniel Freetag. Jamal James will be back in the ring, the Minneapolis-based boxer. He hasn't boxed in 16 months. He is back in the ring the weekend of February 24th at the Armory in downtown Minneapolis. I attended one of Jamal's recent workouts. Here's my conversation with Jamal James. Jamal's the calendar this week flips from January to February. How much is it go time right now? It's been go time, man. You know, we've had a long layoff. I've been itching to get back in there. I'm glad that it's finally getting ready to be the fight month, you know, and we're ready. Take us through that layoff, what that entailed, why this long layoff. You know, we would have been back in there a lot sooner. I messed around and caught COVID as I was getting ready for my next match, and it kind of put us back a little bit. You know, uh, with COVID and this coming, you know, me coming off of that loss, I really want to make sure that I'm 100%. Um, and, you know, COVID kind of attacks your, your cardiovascular system and stuff like that. So even though I felt good a lot sooner when I was training, I noticed that I would get a little bit fatigued faster when I'm sparring and stuff like that. So instead of trying to push it, we took a little extra time off to make sure the cardiovascular system was 100%. So when we get in there, we can give you know people the action they want to see and uh, not not half half work it. You know, I would say something else, but it's news. I can't cuss on. <laughs> I you, appreciate you know that. What I mean, yeah. Let's go back to your last fight, 16 months ago. The way that fight ended, how does that motivate you? Uh, it's big motivation, man. You know what I mean? I felt like I let a lot of people down. I had the title, lost it. But it, it's all learning lessons. You know what I mean? This is boxing. And sometimes you just have an off night, and that's exactly what happened, man. My legs wasn't working. A lot of stuff that I usually have uh, that I'm usually able to work in the fight just was not working in the right timing for me. You know, and I, I'm not making excuses. He was a better man that night. But that's what off night looks like in boxing, you know what I mean? Unfortunately, you really don't want to have none of those when you're competing at my level. But if you do have them, that's what it looks like. So now I'm here, you know, I'm back. 
I want to show the world that you know that was just an off night. It was a fluke, and we and we coming back to get the titles. When you say you're coming back to get the title, are you one that has this enormous chip on your shoulder? Exactly, exactly. You know what I mean? I've been in this game for a long time, man, and I've proven myself time and time again. I think now, uh, you know, I just really want to make a big statement. I would love to get out here, bring the belt right back to Minnesota for everybody, for the state, for my organization, for my family, and you know, really milk the game. Uh, for the, for the you know couple years I got left in it and then bow out gracefully, God willing. You say a couple years, so I mean, are we talking just maybe a couple more fights? I mean, you well, are you in know, your mid-30s, right? So I mean, yeah, a couple more yeah. years? Yeah, we're going to see, man. You know, I still feel very good, still feel my prime, but obviously this isn't a long-term career path, you know what I mean? This is a, a, a sport and a, a career that, you know, is fast-lived, but if you do it correctly, then you can really come up and you, you can put yourself in a good position. So that's my whole focus, that's my whole goal. And, you know, I don't want to be one of the fighters that, you know, just keep going with it even though the signs are showing. You know, if I notice that, you know, okay, I'm starting to take a couple more punches than I'm used to, you know, um, then it's probably time for me to start bowing out, you know. But right now I feel good. Training is going extremely well. And everybody will see when this, this fight, February 25th. When you say training is going well, how do you quantify that? How do you know training is going well? Sparring sessions are going really well. I'm feeling very strong, you know, um, and I just have that energy and have that drive, you know what I mean? Sometimes if you got a fight and the fight keeps getting pushed back and stuff like that, you start to get a little lethargic with your training and stuff like that because, you know, there is such thing as overtraining. Um, so I don't feel like that, you know what I mean? I felt like that before in the past, and when, when you start to feel like that, luckily I got my family in my corner, so they usually, you know, they start easing me up because they don't want me to overtrain they don't want me to you know overdo it so I got the you know some of the best trainers in the world Um, but I haven't felt like that yet you know what I mean because I got this chip on my shoulder I want to come back in a big way I want to show everybody that I'm here still a top welterweight of the world expound on your family and extended family here at Circle of Discipline and what this place means to you yeah man I grew up through the Circle of Discipline man you know it's because of this organization that I'm the man I am today. Um, I started coming down here when I was five years old. And boxing, you know, is just a tool we use down here for the community to help people get in shape, to help people get stress off, to instill a little bit of discipline in some of these kids, you know what I mean, because we do a lot of work with kids, but we're open to everybody. Uh, but we have uh, numerous different programs that we offer, you know what I mean? We have leadership groups. We do mentoring. We do all sorts of stuff, you know. We got... Uh, people that come down and we have our classes for for anybody who wants to be involved Um, and I came up through here at a young age it allowed me to not get caught up with street life and get into funny stuff because when I was younger you know I had a little bit of a temper and the unique thing about boxing is it really humbles you you know what I mean if you're one of those kids who's always fighting or you got a temper or you might you know be a bully when you come and you start boxing it humbles you because it lets you know you ain't going to be able to beat up everybody. You ain't going to be able to bully everybody when you get in that ring. And just because you might have won a couple street fights, that don't mean nothing when you come in the gym. You know what I mean? If you ain't been training, if you ain't been working out, it shows. But it also has the opposite effect for kids who are kind of shy, who kind of get bullied, who are more quiet because it builds their confidence. As they come down here and they begin to train and they see their body change and you know, if they get in there and spar some and they have good sparring sessions and stuff like that, their confidence is built up. You notice them being more outspoken. You notice them being uh, 
more extroverted and making friends and stuff like that. So it's a beautiful tool that we use, you know, and, and because of that, it's really shaped me. And now, you know, since I was so good at boxing, I was able to make a career out of it, make some money and, you know, be the man I am today. I hear that you're a dad now. Congratulations on that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. How yes, has sir. fatherhood changed you? Oh, man, in such a great way, man. In such a great way. I, uh, I'm i just very blessed. I got a, a little boy, you know, four and a half months, uh, all within a year. I got married, got a house, had a kid, and now I can finally focus and just get right back to work, you know what I mean? And now that fire's lit under me because now it's real, you know what I mean? Now I was like, okay family's all here that quick you know it's time to get back to work it's time to make sure the bills is covered uh but now man you know he's definitely a a big joy in my life he definitely makes me train harder because i want to be able to provide him with all the things that you know i wish i would have had when i was a little younger let's fast forward about 18 years you're in your early 50s he's 18 19 years old he Mm -hmm. wants to get in the ring will you allow him to for sure you know if he wants to i'm not going to push him this is a, a sport that you can't force nobody to do this and think they're going to be good. <laughs> you know what I mean? You really got to want to do this uh, in order in, in, if you want to be good at it. You know what I mean? I think this is good for everybody. You don't necessarily got to compete or nothing. I think it's good for everybody just to get the stress off, you know, get in shape and build confidence. You know what I mean? Come down and hit the bag and stuff. I'll tell you, punching the bag is one of the best stress relievers. All right. <laughs> um, but um, I wouldn't force it on him. You know what I mean? If he wants to, though, I'd definitely be in his corner. So you're fighting at the Armory again. You love fighting at the Armory. Why yeah. do you love fighting there so much? Because it's hometown, man. And it was through the Armory that we were able to bring boxing back in a major way. You know, Minnesota has a very rich history of boxing. And, you know, thanks. I, I feel very blessed. I feel very grateful that I was able to be a major name that was a part of bringing it back here to Minnesota. I mean, we have championship fights at the Armory right here in Minnesota, downtown. People fly in from all over the world to fight, uh, 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 to compete here in Minnesota. You know what I mean? And and because of myself, uh, Caleb Truex, you know, uh, a few others, you know, we were the ones that really, you know, put the stamp on and let people know that, you know, Minnesota is a boxing port. You know what I mean? We got football, we got basketball and all that. But we also got boxing, and we got champions coming out of here, you know. Big shout-out to uh, uh, David Morrell doing his thing, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is now home base for, yeah. for David. He's he's off the charts. Take me through the opponent you're fighting here. Yeah, man, he's coming. I believe he's an Argentinian guy. Uh, I know his last name is Paul Mena. I always forget his first name. But, you know, uh, anytime you're fighting a guy in your hometown, you gotta you automatically got to believe they're coming with their A game because – you know, they're coming with nothing to lose. So with that in mind, I got to match it. I got to overmatch it, actually, because it's my crowd. It's my hometown. People ain't coming to see him. They're coming to see me, and I don't want to disappoint, and I won't disappoint. You know, so I know he's going to come strong, but he's a little short. He, uh, you know, he's only going to be able to really fight me one way, so I'm going to be able to have some fun with him if I do what I'm supposed to do. Jamal, how much of a different boxer are you today compared to, say, 10 years ago? So a boxer now is a mid-30s boxer compared to mid-20s? Very different, you know, because I'm allowed to have that experience because I've been in the game so long. So with that experience comes a higher level of understanding of the game, uh, understanding of your opponent, and being able to adjust to different things. You know what I mean? Um, I think I uh, train smarter as well as harder. 
and I believe that I'm a lot more comfortable in the ring. What else is important for us to know as we tell your story here of, of this fight here coming up in a few weeks? That, you know, I've been here, even though people feel this is a comeback just because it's been a long layoff, I've been here, man. I'm a top welterweight, top five, that are alive for this generation, and I'm coming to get my belt back, man. And, you know, people know me around here. People know me all over the nation, really. You know what I mean? So now it's time for me to be more outspoken. I think, you know, I, I'm very humble. I like to talk with my hands. I'm not a big, you know, I'm going to knock this guy out in this round. Of the, I'm, not, I'm not one of those guys. Well, that's what fans, you know, love to hear. But I love to show you. You know what I mean? I'm the person where I can bring it to that level if you make me. But I'm going to be very graceful and give you this tail whipping and then bow and make sure everybody had a great time watching me whipping. I'll tell you what, I had not been to the Circle of Discipline boxing gym in Minneapolis in a while. In fact, it's a new location, or at least it was for me a new location, not far from the University of Minnesota. Really, really nice. Great place to train if you are into boxing. So it was cool to catch up with Jamal at the Circle of Discipline. All right, let's wrap up Scoop Podcast episode 409 with my Gophers baseball conversations from a couple weeks ago. Season preview conversations. The Gophers have played two games as I record this. They fell in a close game on Friday to UC Santa Barbara, an NCAA tournament team from last year. Then you think about Oregon State, right? Trevor Larnick, the Orioles catcher. Like Oregon State, they won the national championship a couple years ago, right? Like Oregon State, one of the better baseball programs in the country. The Gophers fell to Oregon State, but a competitive game on Saturday. So as I record this, the Gophers are 0-2, but these talking points still apply. Plus, I'm curious, will John Anderson, the Gophers coach, be back next year for a 43rd year, for a 50th year as a part of Gophers baseball? His contract is up after this year. That was among things I hit John with. Here's my recent conversation with Gophers baseball coach, John Anderson. John, now that it's Happy Groundhog Day, by the way. Now that it's February, as we flip the calendar of February. Good news from the Groundhog, did we? No, although the Groundhog's like at 40% accuracy, right? Most of the way. He's not very accurate. About 15%. Correct. So anyway, now that the calendar is flipped to February, how much is it really go time right now? Yeah, it's uh, it's coming up quickly. You know, it's a... 17th of February is when we open our season. So it's it's we've got two more weekends here of live pitching where you actually can have live scrimmages on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So there's also two more opportunities. Try to get our kids as ready as we can for game competition. You know, you can't simulate the game like you can outdoors. Uh, we try to create some chaos and try to create, you know, some base running situations and situations that come up in the game, at least with our infielders and, and hitters and, and base runners. And and try to try to make it as as as, as real as we can, because when you get into game competition, the game is uh, speeds up pretty quickly, and that's the part that's really hard to simulate here is our actual game. But uh, we work on the fundamentals, and we got to be able to throw strikes right and catch the ball, and know our assignments on defense and and an offense, and run the bases properly, and those things. So we can focus on the fundamentals and get us as game ready as possible. And as I've said for many years, it takes about ten or fifteen games to really get your feet on the ground in terms of playing at game speed, figuring out who belongs in what role and what lineup and organizing your pitching staff the way you want to. So um, that'll be the start there. And uh, we've got some great competition in February and March, and kids are going to be challenged. That's wonderful, and that's how we're going to learn and grow and learn more about our team and get better. 
the way last year ended. I mean, we can go back multiple years, but, you know, this core, you know, a lot of this core is back or enough of this core is back the way last year ended, but even going back a few years. But how does that motivate you? How does that motivate the team? Well, I think there's lots of motivation here. I think it started last summer. Um, we had 91% of our roster has been turned over from two years ago. So we have some guys back, have a core group of guys back. We've got a lot of new faces. I, I, I really like our last two recruiting classes. They're young. They're inexperienced to some degree, but there's talent there. They're coachable. I think they're going to be some really good players in the last two classes uh, came into this program is, is just because how long is it going to take them to learn how to play at the Division One level, put together good and bad against quality Division One pitching, you know, play at this, this the, uh, game speed at this level and what, what that involves and handling adversity and failure and all the things that managing expectations that young people have, especially when they start their careers. But I've been encouraged. We've had... We had three times more hours of player development time in the fall than we've had since 2019. So, and I've seen the difference in the development of our team and the consistency in the weight room. Um, I've just seen uh, our team has really grown and gotten better since last fall, and it's been normal and that's been fun. And I love this group. Um, I think they're going to get after it. I think they're going to compete for nine innings, and I think we're going to get better as the year goes along and have a competitive team here. Is one of the keys to this year the pitching depth that you have? No question. It starts and ends with the pitching staff. Ask Tom Kelly what was his famous line, we're only as good as the next day starting pitcher. Well, it's true at our level too. And you got to be able to compete on the mound and be able to throw strikes and execute some pitches uh, uh, when, when, when there's guys in scoring position and do some of those things. But I think that what you said, I think we have a pitching staff that has some depth to it. And I think that's really important. We're going to... F- first 15 games we're going to pitch a lot of our staff because everybody's on the pitch count you know you have starters but they're really openers they're on pitch counts they're going to be on pitch counts for three or four weeks um and so you're going to use a lot of your staff and some of the guys are further along in their development than others but they don't get better unless you put them out there and you're going to find some surprises you're going to find some guys that got more work to do and and uh, so we're going to learn we're going to get to see a lot of our team here in the first 10 or 15 games of the year that's a good thing and and but i what i do know, know about this group is they're not, uh, they're not afraid of failure, and they're not afraid to get to work and learn from some of the misfortunes that happen and, and try to create a, a, a better way to play the game and improve their skills. So that's what I've seen since last fall, and it's been fun. Am I correct that a couple of your high-end starters are coming back from injury? Yes. Uh, George Clausen, you know, big freshman recruit we had that was a big national recruit. And uh, freshman year in, in March, he had to have Tommy John's surgery, and then um, he uh, came back um, – Missed 21, came back in 22. Last year was his first year back. Really tried to, again, find uh, find the feel, find his release point, overcome the, the idea that he was injured and all those things have come with that. Really inconsistent. Really found his stride in the Northwoods League this summer and really started to throw the ball in the strike zone more, more competitive, had a really good fall. Um, saw a couple of hundred twos on the radar gun. Um, so he's one of the premium prospects in He's, uh, it's, you know, it's unfortunate his career has gone where it has, but he's in a good place right now, and I think he can really help this team. Will Sim is coming off a hip injury and, and uh, that he had uh, labrum surgery this fall, and, uh, but he's back and, and uh, healthy, and uh, he's another guy that has a premium arm in our program. So, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of guys that are back that are healthy, and uh, we've thrown a lot of strikes so far in the fall and in, in this winter in our scrimmages. And so I, that trend continues, and I think we're going to have – pitching staff that can keep us in ball games and give us a chance. 
I ask you the same question year after year. We have these conversations preseason every year, and it's like, whoa, John, year 36. Whoa, John, year 37. Whoa, John, as head coach, year 42. Like, when I say that, what comes to your mind? Where'd the time go? You know, where'd the time go? I mean, I've been on the campus for 49 years, 19, fall of 1974, so, you know, spent most of my life here. Um, where has it gone? And it's, you know, it's it's gone quickly. You look back, but uh, what uh, what a wonderful memories, wonderful relationships, players I've coached, people I've coached with, and people I've met through the game and in the community. It's been a wonderful ride, and and uh, just looking forward to having an opportunity to be around these young people again and mentor them and and, and help them grow and and get better in the game of baseball. At the same time, uh, help them prepare for the next fifty years of their life. So. I've been blessed. It's been very special, and I uh, don't take it for granted any single day. There's going to be a day when I'm going to take my uniform off and go home, so I'm just trying to enjoy each and every day here um, because when you're into your 42nd season, it's not going to last forever. We know that. Um, so I'm just going to try to enjoy each and every day, and, and this group has really made it fun for me, and I've enjoyed every day since we've been back together last fall. Is it possible that you'll take off that uniform for the last time in June, like um, that this could be it? Like I've said repeatedly, last four or five years, you know, we'll reevaluate at the end of the year where I'm at. said before, I don't want to stay too long. If I don't feel like I'm making an impact here, I'm not helping the kids, not giving them the experience they deserve, don't have the energy, how my health is, if there's any issues there, knock on wood. Um, but, you know, we'll, you know, college athletics is changing right now. We're going through some tremendous change. It's different times, and the transfer portal and NIL and what's going on in college athletics right now, it's, these are new, un, you know, unprecedented times, so we've never gone through this. You had COVID to deal with, and then you had the transfer portal came along, and NIL came along, and, and the pressures today in, in college athletics, I think, just to, the unknown of where we're going and what it's going to look like seems to change week by week. And uh, so I think that, that'll be a factor for me, too. I mean, what are the times going to be like? What do you have to navigate? Um, you know, how much time and energy is going to be taken away from actually coaching and working with the kids and do what you love to do versus trying to manage all the other spaces that keep changing day to day? I think for any, look around, look at the number of athletic directors that have retired, the number of coaches that have gotten out. I think we're all feeling the same thing here. And this isn't what we signed up for. Um, but uh, but I think you have to decide if you're willing to navigate those spaces because you have to. You have to learn how to navigate those spaces and deal with them and still try to build a competitive team and, and get the right guys in, in, in your program and, and uh, guys that uh, want to be here and want to wear the M and, and you want to coach. And so I, I think you've asked anybody in our business today, um, I'm sure everybody wakes up some days and wonders where we're going and where we're headed and what's, what's it going to look like tomorrow. Um, so, you know. Whether you're just starting out or you've been in it 42 years, I think we're all trying to answer the same questions. And uh, um, so we'll see. Uh, like I said, we'll reevaluate, reevaluate where I'm at at the end of the year and and uh, make that, make those decisions as we go along. I, I'll know when the times when the times here. I'm sure of that. I mean, the reason I ask is everything you just laid out that the landscape. And I'm just wondering, do you really want to be doing this into well, your you 70s? That's coaches in this department. They probably have those same conversations with themselves, right? Because it's different. Let's be honest about it. It's really different. And you have no control over your roster anymore. You don't know who's coming and going. We have the draft to deal with. And the draft's the end of June or end of July now, the third week in July. So you don't know till August 1st or 2nd when they can sign guys who's really going to be on your roster. At the same time, you're trying to build a roster of 35 guys. You know, So how many guys do you recruit? How many are you going to lose? You don't know who's going to go in the transfer portal, if any. And so that's 
the hardest part today is just trying to build your roster. And um, and when you have the draft on top of the transfer portal and you got the NIL thing, um, those are three spaces you're trying to navigate every day and has an impact on your team. So the uncertainty of just, you know, we just signed a group of 10 guys this fall, but, um, you know, what's going to happen to the rest of our team and who's going to go in the draft and who's going to get signed and who may decide that there's greener grass someplace else. Um, we have no control over those things. And so that's the challenge. And then you either don't recruit enough players or you recruit too many. And then the scary part is recruiting too many because then you got to tell somebody they got to go and nobody wants to be in that space. So it's a, that's the challenge today. We spend a lot more time looking at our roster every day and just trying to figure out, are we got too many? Do we have enough? So-and-so going to sign, you know. So it's that's the space everybody in college coaching today is dealing with. And, uh, and But when you have a draft like we have in our sport, and they don't have to declare, so you, it's not like you declare and you know someone's entered the draft and you can replace them. You don't know until draft day comes, and then are they going to sign? And so that's another piece of our sport that uh, makes it uh, challenging. And another piece of your situation, correct me if I'm wrong, final year of your contract, so that's another one of those yeah. Yeah. Things are up in the air. I'm not concerned about that. I think everybody wants to look at people's contracts, but there's coaches that have had contracts at other schools that aren't there this year that were there last year, right? Nobody can predict what the future is going to hold. Yeah, contracts are nice, but doesn't mean someone's going to be the same place they are today next year. I mean, the coach at Michigan was there last year. Now he's gone, and uh, he's at Auburn, right? Everybody thought he was going to be there. He had a, he had a contract, right? So um, just use that as an example. There's there's no guarantee anybody's going to be anywhere. I think young people got to look and try to find the right school, the the right place for them in terms of the education they want to get, kind of program they want to be in, and uh, where they want to go through their college experience. And the people here are really important, but I think if you find the right school in the right place, the, the people will be there. And uh, and uh, so, yeah, I could have a five-year contract and decide at the end of the year I'm going to leave because I want to retire or I'm going to go somewhere else. So I told the kids, said, well, you're going to be here because you signed up for five years. That's not necessarily true and because uh, the coaches can leave whenever they want to. And uh, so I think young people and people have to understand that. Um, contracts are contracts, but they're not guaranteed somebody's going to be someplace the next year. I'll leave it with this. Tell us about your new pitching coach. Yeah, Alec Crawford. Uh, unfortunately, our pitching coach, Ty McDevitt, has got a health uh, challenge he's dealing with right now. It's been going on since August of 21. It's been a factor in the last year just in terms of his health and his availability and his ability to be here consistently and do his job. He's an outstanding coach. He was our pitching coach in 18 when we had the, the run. He played in this program. He's been connected to the program for 10 years. And uh, we really brought Alec on this fall because Alec wanted to get into college coaching, played in this program, really came on as our director of, of pitching development. And also in case Ty had more health issues that we'd have somebody on board that at least was familiar with our staff and what we were doing here. Alec, as a director of pitching development, could not coach on the field. He can't coach the kids. But what he can do is be another set of eyes and ears, do our work on our analytics space and all our analytics pieces, our video spaces, get together, do programming for all the 20 pitchers on our staff, uh, work with the coaching staff, uh, do some work in recruiting for us. And so the nice part is he's been here since last fall. He's very familiar. It's been a seamless transition. And him and Ty worked very closely last fall together. And uh, so he's uh, 
He's got a deep background in the game, both as a college player, a professional player, and then worked in uh, a, a, organ- a training organization here in Travel Team North Star, where he did uh, pitching development there. And um, been very impressed so far with his work. And the kids uh, have really uh, enjoyed having him here. And I know they trust him and, and believe in him, and and uh, have given him given him their full attention. So we're very very fortunate we have somebody with his background here in Ty's absence. My understanding is there have not been any sort of extension talks. Maybe those take place after the season. I'd love to see John Anderson back for a 50th year, part of Gophers baseball. Just a magical number, right? 50 years plus he's a Minnesota baseball legend. He should be able to dictate when he leaves Minnesota. Now, I'm fine with some sort of succession plan being put in place, but I'd love to see John Anderson back in 2024. But right now his contract is up after this 2023 season. All right, here are some conversations with some players. George Clawson, the Gophers' top MLB draft prospect, the starting pitcher from Wisconsin. Here's my brief conversation with George. George, I was talking to John. You guys refer to him as 14. He took me through your injury history and how you're in a good spot right now. But can you elaborate on that? Take us through going back the last couple years and then where you are right now physically. Yeah, so back in high school in 2019, I had some back issues and the whole COVID thing too, so I wasn't really able to play a game for about two years. So I got to hear my freshman year, pitched a little bit, and then as soon as the scene started, blew out, tore my UCL, which was a bummer. I mean, I was looking forward to it for a while. And then last year, got my feet underneath me again, a little bit in the summer, and then came on top in the fall. Well, you know what? I was told that you were lights out in the summer so like how key was that what you did in the summer heading into this 23 season oh it was huge a lot of development with my pitches with how I felt as a pitcher too and I got to have a full season since 2019 so I'm ready to transfer what I learned there all the way to this season so I was told that you hit 102 in the fall like what were you throwing in high school how do you get all the way up to 102 high school I was like 90 93 maybe a 95 and then Tommy John I had a year of rehab year of working out every day Got to understand my body a little bit better, ate better, slept better, all that stuff took care of it, and it's just development. That's how I got there, I think. Like, did you know as it came out of your hand, hey, like, this has a chance to get to 102? Not at all. It, it feels the same, but it just comes out a little different. You know this, Georgia. When you hit 102, the scouts take notice. Do you think much about the MLB draft? Not at all. I mean, I'm trying to focus on the next day. I'm, I'm here for the spring. I'm here to do what I can do for the team and contribute as much as I can. How do you envision your role, like Friday starter, Saturday starter, slot in somewhere in that mix? Yeah, right now for Friday, right now, Friday starter. So I'm super excited for that. I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, that means you're the number one guy. Like, how big a responsibility is that? I mean, it's they, they got to do their part, too. Uh, I mean, we have to play as a team, do things together. So I'm just excited to play with them. Give me the full scouting report on you. So we've touched on the 102 fastball, but you obviously throw a few other pitches. Just take me through the scout report. Yeah, uh, four-seam fastball, two-seam fastball, about the same below there. And then working on a slider, which got a ton of development this summer. It, I'm confident it could be wipeout. It could be just get me over. And I've been down with my changeup a little bit. So I lost fuel for that after TJ, and now it's coming back a little bit. When I think gophers and slider, I think of Max Meyer. He's got the wipeout slider, right? Like, can you get to that level? I mean, I'm just trying to do what I can do. It's my slider. He's got his slider, so we'll see how that compares. We transition from George to starting center fielder from Moundsview High School. It is Brett Bateman. 
right now that the calendar is flipped to February, how much is it go time right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, we're here. We're ready to go. Um, got two weeks pretty much until the season starts. And, uh, you know, being indoors is a bit different than what we kind of expect. And uh, it's going to be a little bit of a transition going in, going down to Arizona. But, you know, um, the team's here. The team's ready. We've been working really hard on the off season, And uh, I'm super excited to see how it all works out. Expound on that. When you say, I know we're ready, and it probably involves these workouts, but just expound on that, why you know you guys are ready. Yeah, you know, the culture has kind of shifted over the past two years. Um, it hasn't really gone exactly as what we wanted it to be. And, um, you know, a lot of guys have stepped up, especially younger guys. And um, it's just kind of what we want it to be, where we want it to be. I think John Anderson and all the coaching staff would agree um, it's where we want it to be. So uh, just being able to... Uh, adapt with what we have um, you know lost all of our weekend guys this year guys have stepped up and we've got a lot of options now so um, from a pitching standpoint and a hitting standpoint um, we're ready to go you look at yourself now as a savvy veteran being one of the guys that's pretty seasoned yeah for sure um, I think a lot of guys would agree as well um, I've had my opportunity to play uh, in my freshman year and kind of went away with it so yeah it looking back at it these last two years have definitely flown by but um, yeah I would say I've got a lot of experience under my belt, and um, I just want to be able to help younger guys, um, you know, kind of get used to it because now the season's a little bit different than what it was for me two years ago with COVID and uh, how it was all Big Ten. Um, now it's a lot different, and, um, you know, just getting uh, younger guys' experience for, for the first weekend is kind of um, pretty important to uh, get Minnesota on the right foot for the next few years. How important is it for you to be wearing the maroon and gold, the storied history of of Gophers baseball, you know this better than I do, but the portal's a popular thing, right? You put up the numbers you do. You consider maybe going somewhere warmer, right? But it must be important for you to be a Gopher to be here. Why is it important? Um, well, you know, I grew up here. I live 10 minutes away from campus. And uh, when I had the opportunity to play here, it was way too hard to say no. Um, you know, all the other schools that I considered were awesome. But um, just being able to play close to my family, and uh, John Anderson's done a great job here over the last 40-plus years. Um, and, you know, just playing for him um, and for what he's done for this program really means a lot to me. Um, you know, the transfer has never been enticing for me. I've always wanted to play here. I've always wanted to uh, be a gopher my whole life. And, you know, when the opportunity came, I took it, and uh, I've never looked back. So, you know, as, as much as the transfer portal has been, you know, kind of a nowadays, I should say for every NCAA sport, uh, an option, you know, I personally never saw it because I feel like I've, given so much for this program that, you know, to leave would be taking away a lot, so especially for the future. What are some points of emphasis you've been working on, even going back to fall ball and through these winter workouts, anything you're, you know, tweaking with your swing or anything, points of emphasis that you're working on? I mean, if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know. Um, just my approach has been kind of the same, and, you know, getting stronger has definitely been a huge part of my philosophy, not really, you know, fixing my swing because I think that will take care of itself, but it's just more of been of a strength and speed type thing for me um, because the numbers show for themselves, you know, my ability to play uh, has shown for itself. So um, for me, not really, there hasn't been that much of a fix. It's just been, you know, kind of just getting stronger, and uh, I think that's been kind of the main point for me. How hard is it? I mean, you touched on it where next thing you know, you guys will be in warm climate, you'll be playing outdoors, just adjusting to the track of the ball in center field and just everything. Like, how hard is it to flip that switch come? Is it February 17th when, you know, the lights turn on that that's the opener? We're talking 15 days from now. Like, it's hard to duplicate the work you need to get in outdoors and get used to playing outdoors compared to the work you're doing in here. Yeah, and that just makes 
what we do in here more important um, because it's going to be totally different when we get down there. Um, the teams that we're playing have all been working out in the uh, outside, New Mexico, Oregon State, UC Santa Barbara. They're all on that southern uh, and west coast. So they've had a lot of experience being able to play in the out outdoors. So what we do in here is all the more important, um, especially when it comes in situations where we have to try new things, um, you know, get our defense uh, uncomfortable with what they're facing, you know, because it's going to be totally different when we get out there, like you mentioned. So, um, you know, and at the end of the day, it's baseball. All these guys have been playing baseball for however many years they have. And, um, you know, when the lights come on, uh, it really kind of shows your true nature and how much you work, uh, how much work you put in um, these past few months. And, you know, I'm not really nervous at all. And I think a lot of my teammates would agree that, um, you know, when the lights come on, we're going to play the way we've played and uh, we're going to have some fun out there. Have you set some individual 2023 goals? Uh, for me, no. I, I, I just want to win a Big Ten championship. I want to I want a winning season. I haven't had one here and um, I want a winning season for him because I think uh John Anderson deserves it, and um, you know he's done everything for me personally and everything for this team, and brought a, brought us together. He's recruited the right guys, I think personally and culturally. I think there's been a shift. So, um, you know, for me, individual goals mean nothing. Everything will, uh, you know, kind of sift out. And uh, so, for me personally, I don't really have anything like that. How much do you like the pitching depth? I mean, some youngsters took some lumps last year, but think about that experience they gained last year heading into this year. Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of guys that. Can uh, you know help us win some games? George Clausen, Will Sem, uh, both of them coming off injuries, but you know they had amazing summers, and I'm super excited to see how they do. And then we've got some younger guys that definitely could do some things for us, um, like Sam Malik and Tucker Novotny. Both those guys are definitely going to have to step up. Seth Clausen, so um, you know t talent is there, absolutely, and experience is there as well. So uh, just being able to move on and from last year's and stuff like that, and just kind of put ourselves on the right foot early will be uh, what's most important for these guys. this, Where did you play this summer? How did the summer go for you? Summer went well. It was a super fun experience, you know, just getting out to Wilmer, Minnesota, and being able to play in the Northwoods. Uh, really, really good team. Had a lot of success. Um, super fun, super fun group of guys. Freddie Smith, our head coach, was an amazing guy as well. Um, he does a great job coaching, you know, just kind of brought a different, uh, different type of energy to the field every day. And it was super uh, fun season for me personally, and I think a lot of guys uh, from Wilmer also would agree. You know, really close to the championship, but at the end of the day, just the memories and uh, connections that I make with those guys is what's most important. So, And we wrap up the podcast. He is a starting infielder from St. Michael Albertville High School. His dad played for the Gophers way back when, works now as a scout for the San Diego Padres. His dad is Mark Merrilla. It is... Boston, Maryland. Boston, what's the excitement level? I was talking to Brett. He said, hey, these workouts, even going back to the fall, like things seemingly have ramped up heading into February 17th. How excited are you? I mean, we're super excited. I mean, this is the first time we've been able to have a full fall season. So we got a lot of practices in, a lot of, a lot of scrimmages, a lot of games. So I think being, being able to be back to normal, I think that's been a huge help for us. I think we're really excited to get going here. So, The way last year ended, you know, all the losses, unfortunately, how does that motivate you? How does that motivate the team? I think we got a little chip on our shoulder coming into this season. I don't think people expect too much from us, but I think that we know what we're capable of, and I think we're going to show people what we got. So I think we're pretty excited about that. Some things you worked on? I mean, anything you're trying to tweak or change heading into this 23 season? Um, I'm just trying to uh, focus on what I can do for the team, whatever whatever they need me to do. I think 
I'm going to just try and be there. I think the biggest thing is we got to we got to come together as a group here and just I think the biggest piece is going to be knowing our role, everyone chipping in. It's not going to be one individual coming in here and doing the whole thing. We're going to need everyone from the young guys to the older guys to step up. And, you know, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be ups and downs throughout the season. But I think if we can all uh, know our role and just pitch in, we're going, to, we're going to be looking good this season. What's it like playing for legend John Anderson, year 42 as head coach, year 49 in this program? I mean, just think about that. Like, that doesn't happen in collegiate athletics anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's an honor to play for 14. He's been around for so long, and he's, he knows the game so well. And, I mean, just the, the history of Gopher baseball, to be a part of that and to have him still here. He's been here since he's been around, coached my dad. Like, just to hear the stories that about when he was here back then and now for him to still be here and impacting all of us, it's, it's an honor. So we're truly blessed to have him and, Hopefully he can stick around for a couple more years. But A lengthy podcast, a meaty podcast, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Have a wonderful weekend. If you live here in the Twin Cities, be ready for this whopper of a storm that will come Tuesday to Thursday. Will it be 8 inches, 10 inches, 12 inches, 14 inches, 16 inches? Heck, there's a 10% chance per the National Weather Service based here in the Twin Cities, the Twin Cities branch of the National Weather Service that it could be upwards of 25 inches. Now, again, that's about a 10% chance. So in all likelihood, we're looking at something in the 8 to 12 to 14 inch range. But that snow is coming Tuesday through Thursday. So be prepared. Always appreciate you listening. Have a wonderful week, everyone. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 409. Stay safe. Stay sane.